Good morning, everyone. You are listening to the Master Gardener Hour, a one-hour show where we talk to garden professionals and gardeners from all walks of life, all growing a variety of different plants. My name is Kate Copsey, and I am the host of the show. I am an active Master Gardener, and I have kept my certification for over a decade and through six different states. You can contact me from my webpage, katecopsey.com, or through America's Web Radio station. Site. If you have any questions about something in your garden, please post it on our Facebook page and maybe we can answer the question on the air. This morning we are going to be talking to Katie Elsa Peters about miniature gardens. Good morning, Katie. Good morning. Yes, and you're um, da- down in the Carolinas, which uh, should be a little warmer than where I am. But, uh, yes. It should be, but I don't know that it is. <laughs> it's not snowing here. It's not snowing. Well, we, we haven't had too much snow, but it's been very cold this last couple of weeks. So I guess we have to take our blessings where we can. <laughs> Yeah, but, as long as we don't have ice storms. <laughs> yes. Um, and, of course, miniature gardens, um, they're great for green thumbs on the, the inside. Um, but let's start maybe um, when you became fascinated with miniature gardens and building them for yourself. How did it, did you always kind of have, have a fascination for these, or is it something that just came along later in life? Well, so I always really liked terrariums. Uh, when I was little, I remember being at a science camp or something, and we made terrariums in pickle jars, um, the big pickle jars that you would get at, you know, like Sam's or something. And um, and so I remember making the terrariums and thinking that was fun. And then when I went to my first job out of school, I ran some um, children's programs at a botanical garden among other things, um, uh, and I had the kitchen at the place save me their pickle jars, and so we did terrariums and things. So that was um, so that was really fun. So I've always really liked them, and I've I've kind of you know made them on and off. And then when I was working on my first book, uh, a beginning gardening book, I think I was struck by this big need to procrastinate and so I made about (laughs) 20 terrariums my husband came home and was like what on earth is going on in this house um and I still have some of those um that I made that was probably three or four years ago so I've always just kind of liked them and and had them um and and then in terms of the miniature gardening side I always was very like crafty and I enjoyed you know, playing with my dolls, and I would make them stuff. I would make them little quilts or little dishes or furniture. Um, my my generation was the kind of the first to have the American Girl dolls, so I would make them stuff because I couldn't, you know, buy everything from the catalogs. And so I think that, you know, my interest in the miniatures and creating little worlds probably came from that, but... It was kind of dormant, and so I did an article for my local newspaper. I used to write for them, and I did an article on a lady here that creates fairy gardens, and um, and I had posted a link to that article on my Facebook wall, and my editor that I have worked with on different projects at Cool Springs Press, 
she saw the article and she said, you know, we're looking for a book on um, fairy gardens and miniature gardens. Is that something that you would like to do? And so, yeah, I really just kind of jumped at the chance to do that because it's just so fun. Uh, so that's, I guess, a sort of a long-winded answer. But probably since I could walk, I've been growing terrariums, and it was just sort of a natural outgrowth of that. Yeah, and it sounds like a much more practical thing uh, when you're writing a book and procrastinating than maybe doing the vacuuming or something, but, uh, yeah, um, and a lot more fun. <laughs> but, yeah, um, uh, yeah um, I think of miniature gardens, I guess, as two different sorts. Um, there are terrariums which are kind of the glass-enclosed thing which were more for ornamental things and then there's alpines which are outdoors and then of course fairy gardens have become popular in the last few years so how many other types of gardens are there i mean are those the main varieties or um did you find other ones are they just fun i think what turns any sort of what what turns any sort of fish garden or terrarium or um or even an outdoor garden into a miniature garden is really um, the accessories that are used to make it, uh, and accessories that are to scale. They make it look like a small garden or a garden within a garden. And so I, when I was working on the book, I kind of played with some different, um, some different ideas and, you know, I mean, in a little garden where you can actually grow some little microgreens to use in the kitchen um, and did a few um, little outdoor gardens. But um, you can really, I mean, you can really make them and do them with any type of plant. It's just a matter kind of of how you furnish them um, that makes them in the true little miniature world. Um, well, I, I guess, um, you know, the containers that uh, you've got in the book can almost, I, a lot of them are open, but can you use closed containers as well as open containers, or does a closed container make it a terrarium, whereas a miniature garden is an open saucer type? Well, a terrarium, I think, is it's something that's mainly enclosed, and that comes from the original... Um, like Wardian cases, kind of, um, they're basically little greenhouses. I, I think a true terrarium would be fully enclosed and fully um, sort of self-recycling. You don't ever have to water it. Um, it the plants photosynthesize and um, the water, you know, droplets run down the inside and, and the, the world is completely contained. Um, and so... You could have a terrarium that is a miniature garden or a terrarium that's not really a miniature garden but just has plants in the enclosed um, container. But, I mean, I did some gardens. Like, I did a garden in one of our bird baths, the little water garden. And I wanted to kind of play with the idea that there, you might want to grow certain types of plants that you can't necessarily grow out in your big garden. I don't have the time or space or energy um, to grow a full-size big water garden, but the, the kind of miniature water garden that I put in the bird bath is actually the perennial plants in it are still growing, you know, going strong. So, and this is a couple of years later, or a couple of summers later. So, 
Yeah, I think it's mainly um, you can grow a miniature garden in anything you want to, but a terrarium would be something that's, that's fully enclosed. So, so these gardens can be outdoor gardens as well as indoor ones, right? Yes, yes. And, and with the outdoor gardens, you can have them in ground or you can have them in containers, but, um, but still outdoor gardens. A, a, lot of, a few years ago, and I mean, I think they're still fairly popular, but there are a lot of train gardens, and a lot of the train gardens had, like you were saying, kind of the alpine plants or miniature conifers and those um those are in-ground gardens and i mean you can do a miniature garden within your big in-ground garden um using really any kind of plant i mean there's a lot of beautiful miniature hostas and um some other smaller perennials that um or like have fine leaves or, or little flowers that um, you could make a little scene in your larger garden, and I did one of those for the book. Um, but then you also have your in, you know, gardens and pots, and I have a, a little, I call it the botanical garden in the book, but I have a little um, one in a hypertufa container that's um, mostly miniature conifers, but there's a little hosta in it and a little sedum, um, and it's, it's still said going strong um so it's it's kind of it's kind of up to you whether it's easier for you to do it in the ground or in a container um but you can do both of those outside and that's pretty fun yeah and and i i guess um the light issue um you know when, when they're outside obviously they get sufficient light for whatever the plant is is that something that you have to really consider and be careful about with your plant choice on the inside um or, or do they do most of the miniature ones not really take that as much light as one would expect a full-size plant to take? Well, if you're going to use, if you're going to grow a miniature garden inside, you're going to want to use plants that do well indoors. You can, if you keep plants that grow outside inside for very much time, they usually um, are overtaken by insects. Um, I, my my husband brought home this lemon tree that he had had in his office all winter because it he has a nice sunny window and it had the worst case of scale I have ever seen on a Ooh. living plant. And as soon as we put it outside, you know, the natural predators went after the scale and and it was fine. Um, so I think most indoor miniature gardens are done with things that we would consider house plants, whether they're succulent type house plants or more tropical type house plants and most of those plants are fairly low light they have fairly low light requirements um but you definitely want to you definitely want to consider where you're going to put the garden when you're deciding what to plant in it um and i can just tell from certain i i'll move move my indoor ones around sometimes if it seems like they're they need more light but if you want the garden to be a long-term garden, you do still need to match plants with each other that need, have similar needs in terms of light and water and that kind of thing. Yeah, and I, I would imagine that, um, you know, particularly when you've got um, little tiny 
things uh, the amount of light that they that they need is is less um, and, and getting them all clumped together would obviously be important but for instance our, our hostas don't don't need much light can can you do you find that you said that you um, kind of rotate them around a little bit is there a danger that you could burn them if you put them for instance in a suddenly in a su- southern window ha- having been maybe on the inside a little bit more well yeah if you if you're ever going to move your miniature garden especially if you're going to move it outside kind of like moving anything from out um, indoors out where you would need to harden it off um but for the most part um and and, a, and if you brought an outdoor miniature garden in to serve as like a centerpiece or something um for the holidays before you just sit it back outside you would really need to kind of reacclimate it but um i mean i mean i mainly kind of keep things where i put them to begin with but yeah anytime you abruptly change the conditions for a plant there's always the chance that um you'll shock it yeah so so so, so you kind of adjust them slow slowly a little bit like kind of hardening off a, a seedling or something like that. Um, but, you know, mm-hmm. we, have, we have to go for our first commercial break here, Katie, um, but we'll be back talking more about miniature gardens with Katie Elsa Peters on the Master Garden Hour. We'll be back in just a moment. Quick Stakes, that's Q-U-I-K Stakes, are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of Quick Stakes. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's Quick Stakes, Q-U-I-K Stakes, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. This is Dr. Susan Blank, Medical Director for the Atlanta Healing Center. Our team is able to offer a multitude of treatment options, such as quantitative EEG, also known as brain mapping, hormonal and nutritional assessments, neuropsychological testing, and cognitive therapy, along with traditional 12-step facilitation. And we can even offer you, if appropriate, a gentle medically managed detox. Please contact us at 770-696-9862. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to the Master Gardener Hour. Remember, you can catch up with us on Facebook at the Master Gardener Hour. And if you miss any shows, you can find archives at americaswebradio.com and you can find them on iTunes and you can find them on Stitchers. This morning, we are talking miniature gardens with Katie Elza Peters and we talked about some basics in the first set segment. Um, but we didn't get to how you actually um, create these things um what kind of medium do you usually put them in i mean i know different plants obviously take acid and alkaline and all that is there a basic though um 
soil, so to speak, that you put at the bottom of these for the plants? So I like to use seedling mix because that's a sterile potting medium. And if you were to buy, you know, cubic yards of it, it would be very expensive. But you can go to any garden center, really. And um, usually it's um, usually it's with the, in the houseplant section. Um, and just it comes in bags that are probably more like a couple of quarts as opposed to anything. So I use that because it's sterile. And that way... You don't get, especially for the indoor gardens, that way you don't end up with um, a lot of fungus or things from the outdoor soil uh, that can grow. I've, I have learned that the hard way, <laughs> not to just pick things up out of my yard and put them in the indoor gardens in particular. Um, and then for the succulents, I would use a succulent potting mix, which is really a mixture of um, vermiculite or perlite um, and seedling mix. It's a little bit lighter weight just because those plants don't like to be bogged down with heavy soil. And and so the, these are, are re- readily available in box stores and things like that, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Actually, both are. You can buy potting mix that is specifically labeled for cacti and succulents. The one thing that I would in- um, encourage everybody to stay away from is you really don't want a potting mix with fertilizer in it. Um, if you use that in a terrarium, you'll usually end up with algae problems. And um, and then the other thing is you don't necessarily want these plants to grow super fast because then you have to hack them back or, or repot them or switch them out. So that's important to note. But but do, do they need a, a little bit of fertilizer though, just to keep keep go, going? Or and if so, what type of fertilizer do, would you use? I have not fertilized ever a terrarium because oh. they are so self-sustaining, and I've never had plants look um, yellow or anything. Oh. I have this tiny little one on my desk where I have a little bitty strawberry begonia in it. The leaves are about the size of my pinky nail. And they've been in there for a couple of years now, and the little microbes that are in there, I think they just sort of break down things. For um, miniature gardens that are outside, I might water with a liquid fertilizer a couple of times a year, but that's it. And I, I guess um, when, when uh, you know, we've got these miniature gardens, um, how close to maybe a real landscape design is um, a miniature garden. For instance, do you have to go out with a little piece of pa- paper, um, a squared pa- paper, and design the garden that way, or do you find it's more of an impromptu thing? You find a vessel and you say, oh, I can envision that as being um, a beach um, scenario or something. Well, kind of both. Yeah, in my book I have a little garden that is a kind of a beach garden. I'm trying to find it so I can tell you what it's called, but Garden at the Beach. Um, that's what I used to call my big garden because I live near the beach, but not at the beach. And I decided on that particular scene because I liked the container. It looked like a little white fence that you might see along the dune line, um, at a beach. And then I found the main plant that went in that garden, which is a, which is a small screw pine. Um, and it just reminded me of, of things that I saw at the beach. So, what I think is fun and what I did a lot of is it's 
kind of fun to create these garden styles um, that you see in big gardens in miniature. And so to create a landscape that looks like the beach um, was just, it, but is tiny and can sit on a tabletop. And that was really, that was really fun. And I would just think about what are some of the plants that you see. And when you go to the beach, say in Florida, you might see some giant agaves growing. Um, and in my little garden, I use some little Haworthia plants that have the same form, but they're, you know, so much smaller than these big agaves. Um, and the screw pine, well, there are actually screw pines growing at the beaches in Florida. They're just big. You know, they're 10 feet tall, not 10 inches tall. Um, and so, you know, there's, there's the aspect of sort of creating some wild-looking um, landscapes in miniature. I did that with kind of a desert garden. And then there's um, the idea of designing, um, designing really the same way that you would design a landscape. I don't know how much. I would really draw things out, although some people do, but picking a theme and then um, using the principles of design, which are fairly simple, um, looking at color, looking at form, and looking at texture, and then finding um, plants that contrast with each other so that you can see the differences in them. Um, I mean, you use the same principles of design that you would when you're designing your, you know, your garden and your, your yard, but it's just on a much more shrunken scale. Um, and I know that some people use orchids or amaryllis or something to accent a room maybe on a table. Do you find that you're using miniature gardens instead of those um, statement plants and you're using the, those as a decoration point or a statement on a table as well? Yeah, I mean, I definitely do. I have this little hurricane terrarium, actually not terribly little, um, with a parlor palm in it and some other things. And I um, have had that on one of the end tables in my living room, um, or I don't know, just the, one of the rooms um, since I did this book. And I need to replace the parlor palm. I don't think I was very good about watering this planter, but um, it looked really good for several years. So, yeah, I, I think I do, and I have terrariums in the front room um, kind of on this buffet that um, I guess normally you would just have regular house plants or something, but um, they are definitely good conversation pieces. Whenever people come over, they like to look at them, see what's going on. If I had a lot of time, I would switch out things for holidays and stuff, but I really haven't lately. But they... There's something that's just really captivating about these little worlds, and, and I definitely notice people um, taking a look at them when they come over to visit. And so, and so you, you would have a different sort maybe in um, the, the living room rather than um, the, maybe the, fa the family room or a basement bar. Maybe the beach one would go maybe on a basement bar rather than maybe a more formal terrarium. Can you make them formal-looking versus informal? Yeah, I definitely think that the hurricane terrarium looks much more like something you would see at Pottery Barn. Um, only theirs would have fake plants um, in it. Uh, the vase, the hurricane vase, is actually something we got as a wedding gift from the Pottery Barn um, 10 years ago now. Um, but it, it definitely has a more formal look than, um, say, any of the 
any of the gardens that have more accessories and things. But but people could may, maybe um, just find things maybe around the house that would be suitable for a small gar- garden. Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. I um I a lot of the containers that I used uh, were things that I sort of had laying around. You can use anything as a container, but you need to. If it's a terrarium, it needs to. Um, it needs to really be glass um, and have a lid. If it's if it's another container, you need to be really careful with watering or make sure there's drainage in it, and then have something underneath it. Um, have a, a little plastic. Um, you can get clear plastic. Oh my gosh, what's the name? Saucers, essentially, to put under your pots, and they don't have to really stand out. So, but I don't really recommend using containers with no drainage at all. And and so they don't have to drain in the same way as um, normal plants. Then um, you still have to have that dra- drainage point at the bottom so it doesn't get so- soggy from watering. That rather than um, the normal potting thing. You do, or you have to be really careful. And some of these, I've poked holes in the bottom of the containers. Um, and others, others of them, there um, there aren't any holes. But um, I keep a really, really close eye on watering. Um, and then some of them are just in really porous containers. So um, if you're careful with watering, the water will kind of evaporate. But you have, I would say you definitely have to be a little more careful with water with these types of gardens than you would with um, maybe a pot with one type of houseplant in it or a garden out in the, you know, out in the landscape because there's not much room for error. You can overwater really quickly. Yeah. And, and if you've got um, a terrarium, which by default has a, a lid on it, do you have to take that lid off or, or vent it somehow so that um, maybe in humid days it doesn't get um, steamy in it? I don't, know because you want it to get steamy because you want, the, you want the water to condense and then run back down the sides to keep watering um, the plant. So I don't. In fact, I have a terrarium that it looks like it's dried up. I'm not really sure what happened. I just looked at it the other day, and I was like, apparently that needed water, and I didn't notice. It must have happened sometime in the fall when I was traveling a lot. Um, I don't ever open it. Uh, I would except occasionally maybe to get some water um, if it seems like it's been evaporating. Some containers, if they're, if the, depending on how the lid sits on there, it's not absolutely airtight. Um, the water can evaporate a little, little by little over time, and that's apparently what happened to this one because everything looks pretty crispy. So um, I'm going to have to replant that, but but that'll be fun. Um, you know, I kind of check on them from time to time just to make sure I don't need to add water because um, I don't water them and I don't vent them. Yeah, and, and I, 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 yeah, I, I would imagine that they're fairly um, easy to take care of. Um, but you know, oh, we, yeah. yeah, yeah. But we need to take another quick commercial break here. But when we come back, we'll talk more about miniature gardens with Katie Elsa Peter. The Master Gardener Hour will be right back. 
This is America's WebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. In 2009, the membership organization Docs for Patient Care was founded. People all around the country wanted to participate in the efforts of this group, and they wanted to join, but they were unable to do so unless they were physicians. It's for this reason that the Docs for Patient Care Foundation was created. Now, everyone can join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients, dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. While you're at your computer, please go to www.docs4patientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docs4patientcarefoundation.org and make a tax-deductible donation and join the fight along with us. Thank you. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. Quick Stakes, that's Q-U-I-K Stakes, are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of Quick Stakes. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's Quick Stakes, Q-U-I-K Stakes, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. You are back listening to the Master Gardener Hour. I am the host of the show, Kate Copsey, and this morning we are with Katie Elsa Peters and we're talking about miniature gardens, a great way to exercise those green thumbs in winter. Um, so anyway, we, we have, uh, Katie, we have um, a good design idea and we've got the containers and we know what the mix is. So what about the plants? Um, do they have to be mail ordered? Can you go to your local nursery, uh, big box store? Where do we find plants of the right size for these little fellas? So um, the, I would say the, the main size that you're going to be looking for, for the most part, are one-inch um, pots. That's what they're called in the nursery trade. And um, more... More often than not now, because this type of gardening has become so um, widespread, I think you'll be able to find these little plants probably at at least one of your local independent garden centers. Um, It is possible that you would find some that are the right size at a big box store. I think it kind of depends. You know, they just get shipments in, um, you know, kind of on and off. So you may... You may get lucky with that, but it's pretty likely that you'll be able to find um, find something at your local garden center. And if you can't, um, you can order different types of plants uh, online. You can actually order a lot of plants, believe it or not, on Etsy now, E-T-S-Y dot com. I ordered the air plants for um, my underwater area from Etsy. And you can get assortments. You can order single plants. Um, just look at the places that have good reviews. There's um, definitely a lot of places that sell succulents on there. 
Um, and so you can you can also look around online, but for the, the house plant type things, you're looking for one-inch pots, and that's mainly what you'll be using on your terrariums or indoor gardens. And then you might find um, maybe a small ficus tree or a screw pine or a fern or, like, maybe one bigger plant that you, depending on how large the container is, that you can use. But you'll be surprised. I, I've ended up with so many of these because I buy what I think is enough plants for something, and it turns out I've bought twice as many because <laughs> once you start putting them in the container, yeah, they're... <laughs> The, the containers are a lot smaller than you think they are, and the plants actually end up being bigger in relation to the containers than you think they would really be. So um, if you plan on making one garden, there's a really good chance you'll end up with two or three. It's hard to, it's hard to rule, like, it's hard to... This is like buying candy. You want one of everything. So. <laughs> and, and is it safe, safe to order them in January, um, or should we wait till spring because they're live plants? Um, no, I mean, I think, you know, most of these are packed pretty well. The, the places that ship plants, um, I feel like they know what they're doing. They probably don't ship during the winter if they aren't um, insulating them well enough. And most places that that um, do mail-order plants, the shipping is, you know, it's like two-day shipping or something. So they're not sitting around on a truck for a week. I would... I would try to stay around, uh, away from somebody that ships ground or ships um, U.S. Postal Service that's not shipping at least priority mail. Um, but a few days is not going to hurt these plants. I mean, maybe if you're going to Alaska, but yeah. otherwise it should be okay. Um, and so apart from the overall size of a plant, what type of things in, in a design um, should we also look for i mean are there different sorts of leaves and things like that that you can put it put into these gardens and how do do you visualize when you're looking at um, a group of plants on online on etsy or or on a nursery site um do you try and mix them up so that you've got different uh, textures or are they flowering plants do you get flowering plants in in little tiny ones um, there are a few little flowering plants that um, I've used. Some of them are kind of aggressive. A lot of the flowering plants that you'll see that have small enough leaves or flowers to not completely overtake one of these gardens are ground covers. But ground covers, by their very you know nature, are supposed to cover ground quickly, and so they can require a lot of maintenance, and, and you have to be really careful with them. Um, but yeah, when I'm when I put plants together, and in the book you can see where for pretty much every garden I have a picture that has grouped the plants that I'm using in that garden. I try to make sure that they do contrast with each other. Use plants with larger leaves and plants with smaller leaves, um, or plants that are lighter with lighter colored leaves or darker colored leaves, so that you're not just looking at a blob. And so I think that that, while it sounds sort of unscientific, if you put all your plants together and you're just, and you step back a little bit and you're looking at a green mound and you can't see any differences in texture or color or shape, then you, you're going to want to, you know, switch out some of the plants. Um, uh, yeah. So. 
and I think, think there, there was one in there that I noticed, I can't actually find it now, um, where you'd used um, one of the red sages, um, almost like a tree in a garden, um, because it was much bigger. It was almost like a normal, uh, maybe a four-inch pot, but it, because everything else was so much smaller, it kind of gave the effect of a tree. So that was kind of repurposing a normal plant in a garden? Mm-hmm, yeah, and that's what I would say. Yeah, I think that's the, like, little kitchen garden one. Um, but, yes, if you, you have one plant that is a little bit bigger, in miniature gardening, you're not necessarily using trees as trees and shrubs and, as shrubs and flowers as flowers. You're using plants that are going to be the tree in your garden or be the shrubs, but they might all be... I mean, they might all be dwarf conifers or they might all be herbs of different sizes, but it's really kind of the size that determines what function that plant plays in your miniature landscape. So the sage, even though it's an herb, can be sort of a tree because it's bigger than everything else. And um, so, yeah, I think that's important to not not get stuck with this idea of, like, like, put yourself in the mindset that you're you're making a miniature landscape, but you're using all different kinds of plants to fill the different um, needs that you would, in the regular landscape, have, like, neatly categorized plants to pick from. And if that makes any yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah. And, and as far as um, the accessories, they kind of, they, I guess they personalize or bring the, the, <clears throat> the gardens to life. Um, how do you f- figure out, particularly again online, um, what size um, you're going, going to be getting? I mean, if they all look nice and cute and whatever online, um, and then you get, mm-hmm. get them and they're suddenly, they, you put them in the garden and they kind of, they overwhelm it. Maybe the, maybe the chair is the size of the, the pool or something. Yeah, I had that happen occasionally because I bought a lot of things online and I, you know, ended up with this, for instance, ceramic koi fish that was about the size of the container I had. Um, There are some different scales. It's not quite as scientific as, say, train sets are, but there are some scales. Sometimes you can see accessories um, next to each other. And you just kind of have to eyeball it. Um, You definitely don't want, you know, a chair that is the same size as a table um, in the same garden. And, I mean, quite frankly, what you're hitting upon is difficult. Sometimes you you can't tell what the size of something is until you buy it. But especially if you're buying it um, on Etsy, you can ask the person selling it you know what the scale is or maybe what or ask for measurements a lot of them have measurements on them but there there is a section that talks a little bit about scale and it shows say a bench next to a pergola type thing um and then it, it basically shows the same it shows a bench next to some different accessories, a bench next to a fountain where the bench is way too big to be next to that fountain. Um, and then it shows the bench next to a little miniature pot and topiary where everything is much more in scale. So, I mean, you don't have to be exact, but I think you can eyeball it. You can tell if something looks weird. And some people don't care. I have been to workshops where people are blissfully ignorant of how strange their little landscape looks, and they don't care. And that's fine, too. 
And and I guess if it, if it was too big for for your landscape, you'd just maybe make a different garden to to put it into. Again, <laughs> yeah, that's how you end up with twenty terraria. You have all these plants and all this stuff, and you just keep going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and and I, I would imagine that um, you know when plants get to a certain stage, um, do you find that they get? I mean, we were talking about the herbs, like the sage. Do you keep them in the garden, may, maybe for one year, and then pop them into the garden um, the second year to grow normally and replace it with something? I have done that with plants. I have done that. Some plants I just kind of trim, and then other ones I might take out and. Um, and replace. So it just kind of depends on, I mean, if something's starting to look really woody or really scraggly or you cut it back and then it's not very vigorous and you can take it out. Um, the conifers probably require the least amount of care. The little dwarf conifers that I have in the botanical garden, miniature garden, I literally do not do anything to them. I mean, I think I might water the little garden occasionally in the summer, but um, it just sits on the table in my backyard and grows. Um, sometimes I'll turn it because of sunlight. The big, the bigger plant in it starts sort of leaning towards the sun a little bit so I think I rotate so, so, so they so they don't need as much care and attention as a bonsai for instance where they're forever trimming no. things off <laughs> well so yeah the difference that's an important point so if you put a bonsai in your miniature garden a bonsai is different than a dwarf plant and a dwarf plant will eventually get larger but I mean we're talking over 20 or 30 years a bonsai is is a plant that is a full-size plant that has been root-pruned <clears throat> and pruned to stay small. So if you put a bonsai red maple in your miniature garden, you're going to have to take care of it as a bonsai. Um, if you put a bonsai white pine or something in your garden, um, you're going to have to prune it, whereas if you put an actual dwarf, conifer that is a variety that is dwarf you're not going to have to do as much if anything really to it for years because it is not a full-size plant um that is being maintained as a miniature so there's a big difference and <clears throat> you can put bonsais in your miniature garden um but you just need to be aware of how the care for them is different than the care for a dwarf so, so, so you'd, you'd probably want to keep keep um, <clears throat> keep them in a slight, slightly different, um, may, maybe a, in their own container or something like that, rather than mix them together. But you know, we need to take yeah. our final commercial break here. But come back, everyone, listen to more about miniature gardens with Katie Elsa Peter. The Master Garden Hour will be right back. Quick stakes. That's Q U I K stakes are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of quick stakes. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's quick stakes, Q-U-I-K stakes, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. 
Have you heard of quantitative fluid analysis? Commonly called QFA, this test assesses your body at a cellular level and gives insight into your illness. Peachtree Ear, Nose, and Throat Center offers the QFA, an FDA-approved test that can often provide early diagnosis of conditions before they can be detected with other tests. Dr. Elena George believes in an integrative approach to medicine. She believes in treating the problem and not the symptom. Following a review of your results, Dr. George will suggest treatment approaches such as nutritional counseling and or the use of pharmaceutical-grade enzymes and nutritional supplements. Surgery and prescription medication will be recommended only when necessary. Peachtree Ear, Nose, and Throat Center is located in Atlanta at 1776 Peachtree Road Northwest in Suite 260 North Tower, two blocks south of Piedmont Hospital. They are open Monday through Friday, 8.30 a.m. until 4 p.m. Additional details are available at www.peachtreeentcenter.com. Call their office at 404-591-9100 to make an appointment and mention that you heard this ad on Radio Sandy Springs and get 10% off of QFA testing. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. Today's consumers find themselves faced with a greater variety of choices than ever before, both in the food they eat and the information they receive about that food. Feedstuff's Food Link was created to provide you with a balanced source of information for making decisions about your family's balanced diet. Visit FeedstuffsFoodLink.com to learn about your food directly from the source, the people who work every day to provide it. FeedstuffsFoodLink.com, connecting farm to fork. This is America's WebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. I hope you're enjoying the Master Gardener Hour this morning. We have been talking miniature gardens with Katie Elsa Peters. And, Katie, the book is uh, fresh on the market, right? It, it arrived uh, in the new year. Is that right? Um, I think it's been out since sometime last year, but not, I mean, it's with it, it's not even a year old. So I guess we'll call it fresh. And, uh, and, and it, it's available, I know, online. Is it available in bookstores as well? Um, it is. It is. It kind of just depends on on whether they stock it or not. But yeah, it's definitely available from online retailers and brick and mortar. I saw a copy of it up in Martha's Vineyard when oh. I was up there visiting this summer. And one one of the things I really like about it, actually, are the number of pictures. I mean, to be honest, there there are far few words and just beautiful pictures. <laughs> Yes, well, so um, I don't remember how many words it is, but um, it, this is such a, this is such a, I mean, a visual, gardening is such a visual thing, and I feel like it's a lot easier to explain to somebody what you're talking about in terms of whether it's a design concept like scale or um, or how to do a little project like, um, you know, making a little twig trellis or something it's just easier to show it and so I actually took um 
I took all the pictures in this book except for there's maybe a couple that I got from some friends. There's a pretty little teapot garden um, in the front of one of the chapters, and my friend Tiffany from Succulent Gardens, that's a little garden that she designed, and I remembered that picture, and I called her, and I said, hey, I really like to put this in my book if you're okay with it. But otherwise, um, the pictures are all taken by me. All the gardens are done by me and my Friends and family are the hand models and <laughs> the people that helped me, um, um, you know, design the gardens and held the photo shade. And it was really, it was really a labor of love on behalf of almost everyone that I knew at the time that I was working on this book. Um, my mom is the hand model for the grandma's garden and. One of my friends I paddleboard with is a hand model for most of the other gardens. So, oh wow, it's pretty, yeah. It was, yeah, pretty in depth. Yeah, and and the other thing that you you've got got in here, um, I was just looking at the um, the Halloween um, ideas and Chris, and Christmas. So, can get, mm-hmm. I, I guess you tell how to seasonalize these, or, or were these are these gardens that you then show how to um, put the the extra bits onto them? Yeah, I mean, I think it's fun if you have a little garden like this. It's kind of like decorating your house um, for a holiday. And so I have this little garden that I called the Backyard Garden. So we show it decorated for Christmas, and we show it decorated for the 4th of July, um, Independence Day. And then we show the Desert Garden decorated for Halloween. And, um, you know, this is where I feel like the creativity is really fun because, you can buy some of these accessories, but you can also kind of make them. And so the people that were helping me the day we did 4th of July, um, the girl who was the hand model, she's also the one that came up with the idea of, the, like, fireworks in the air for the 4th of July because um, we had these little, um, they're, they're little twist ties. And um, so she made them into fireworks, and she's the one that also made the little pumpkins on the, table in the desert garden desert garden for halloween those are actually marbles we painted and then hot glued little green um pieces of floral wire for the stems so it's um and and you can even dress things up like i have purchased the little fire set the little marshmallows and campfire but we added the flames so it's kind of fun even if you get stuff online you can um you know change it around or add to it and um, it's just another way to have fun with the garden throughout the year. And, and also use it as a centerpiece. If you're going to have a Christmas dinner, then you can, you know, use that as your centerpiece. If you're having a Halloween party, um, people will definitely enjoy looking at the little garden decorated for Halloween. Oh, yeah. And, and to say, the, the Halloween one has got kind of ghosts and, and uh, things like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, and all these parts, were, were you purchased all these online, right? All the bits? Um, I I purchased some of it online and some of it um, just kind of, you know, at local stores. There are so many things available. My local garden center um, that I where I bought a lot of things and took some um, pictures for the book, they have tons of stuff, both seasonal and just different styles of accessories. So you can find things everywhere. The, the main thing when you're looking at accessories is, to know whether you're going to have them in an indoor garden or an outdoor garden, because outdoor garden accessories really, unless you're going to replace them, they really should be probably resin or stone. Um, you can put wood accessories out there if you know that you're going to 
you're just planning on replacing them after a year or two. And then anything that goes in a terrarium should also be like resin or ceramic um, that can get wet. Whereas um, an indoor garden that's just on a table, you can, um, you know, put whatever you want and just take care not to water it when you're watering things. So that's something to note about accessories. Yeah. And, and do you do talks out, out in the public on how, and, and workshops sort of putting these things together? Um, I can. Yes, I can. And I, the best way to find me is through my website, which is thegardenofwords.com. And um, I and all my contact information is on there. I'm kind of a hermit <laughs> right now, but, but I can. And I'm always happy to answer people's questions and emails. Occasionally somebody will find um find my website and call me up and um while unexpected it's it's always fun to see what they want to know and try to help them out so you're more than welcome to do that and 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 you have a facebook page as well right um i actually don't oh (laughs) i'm just a bad writer i don't know really the best way to get a hold of me is through my website and just you know call me up or email me and ask me whatever you want um i don't really have a facebook or twitter that i use a lot right now for gardening so um but i'm i'm definitely always available through just email and picking up the phone so yeah and and if, if somebody wanted maybe a signed copy um how would they get one of those um yes they, they can definitely feel free to email me it's just katie at the garden of k-a-t-i-e um, and my email again is on my website. And um, sure thing, I can um, can send out uh, copies. So um, would love to. Yeah, and and it's certainly it's, it's a beautiful book um, with lots of information. And I like the, that you've given the, um, the 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 plants at the back, um, the miniature plants, and how how to look after them. I guess plant profiles. And it, I would never, you know, some some of those. those um, like like the coral bells. I didn't realize that you could get tiddly tiny ones of those. Yeah, there are um so there are some plants that um you know, some smaller varieties of plants that you think about using in your regular garden. Um and some of these, you know, if you let them grow for 10 years, they're going to get quite large, but you can always replace them. But yeah, I try to um try to use a variety of plants not just miniature things, but also plants that you can find um, at your regular garden center. And the main thing is just, you know, if you find a plant that is of a decent size, think about how fast it grows and how much you're willing to trim it. Um, Like a calabrocoa, you could probably use for one summer, and chances are you're going to end up trimming it a little bit, but we like to garden. That shouldn't be a big problem. Um, so you just you kind of have to just decide how much maintenance you want to do, um, where this is going to go, how often you want to switch plants out. But I know people who absolutely would not plant an annual in their miniature garden because, you know, it'll only last one season and you might have to chop it back part of the way through the year. But I feel like that's that i mean you can always get out the scissors and yeah. and, and, um, and for somebody like me for somebody like me that's never actually made one before um about how long would it take to construct these things 
Um, I mean, you can really plant it in about an hour. Um, I feel like shopping for the stuff is what takes longer. You know, depending on what you're doing, you might go to a couple or more places to find your plants or containers or accessories, depending on where you go and what they have. But, yeah, it's a pretty quick afternoon project. And, and they're so delightful. Um, and, and so it's easy to get hold of the, the plants and things like that to um, construct these, right? Yeah, pretty much. You know, the, the things that the plants might be the harder thing, especially if you want smaller sizes. But if you have, you know, access to the Internet, you can pretty much get everything online if you can't find it locally. But I would be surprised unless you really live in the middle of nowhere and you're not near a garden center. And I have lived in the middle of nowhere before so i i know how that goes and you have to shop online i would be surprised if if people's local garden centers didn't have some of the stuff that they needed for this but the you know the containers you can go to any of the you know houseware stores um have them tj maxx and marshall's and old time pottery and that kind of place um the craft stores have a lot of stuff um oh it's it's pretty hot, so you can. So, so some, somewhere like you, somewhere like the Hobby Lobby then would have it as well. Yeah, yeah, like Hobby Lobby and Michaels, they all have different things that um, you can can use. And then I have gotten some things at um, like aquarium stores and pet stores, like some different gravel and um, that kind of thing. So once you start making these gardens, you'll start you'll start finding stuff everywhere you go whether it's a container or an accessory or a plant it's it's like a little bit like a disease (laughs) so but but a fun one it could be worse worse things to do to make little gardens yes and and i would imagine the the worst thing you can do is overwater it is is um is that probably the the number one thing that people shouldn't do just overwater yeah yeah i think so it's a lot easier to correct underwatering than overwatering she can always give it more water but yeah. um but yeah i would say to err on the side of dry because you can always yeah. add water yeah and i and i think that's what um kill, kills most things too too much water i mean they always say say oh, yeah. that uh, overwatering kills more than underwatering but you know we're, we're pretty much at the end of the show katie um I, I want to thank you for being here it's been a great show and i'm definitely going to give this a try i mean it's january it's <laughs> might as well find something to do right well. <laughs> yes <laughs> yes um but okay folks that's all we've got time for this morning um thank you for listening to the master gardener hour we will be back next week with another show talking all about gardens and gardening have a good gardening week everyone and join me back here next saturday you're listening to america's webradio.com the pioneer and leader in chat radio thank you for listening watchdog